ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. This month, Y-Pulse, the leading authority on Gen Z and millennial opinions and behaviors, has just released their deep dive trend report on how young consumers are thinking and feeling about experiences. Mary Lee Bliss, Y-Pulse's VP of content, is here to discuss what Y-Pulse's research can tell us about what young consumers think the future of experiences should look like. Mary Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Way, way back before Zoom became a verb, (laughs) we were talking about how experiences were so important to young consumers and how, if memory serves, young consumers were happy to spend their cold, hard cash on experiences rather than products. And then enter COVID and the Delta variant plot twist. And we're all wondering what young consumers are going to be comfortable doing as they start to really integrate a lingering COVID risk assessment into their future plans and desires. So before we talk about your findings, I first want you to give us some information about the trend report itself, the geographic territory you cover, who you survey, how representative it is, and what we're looking at with regard to margin of error if we're comparing percentages. Yeah, absolutely. So Y-Pulse is focused on young consumers. That's 13 to 39-year-olds. We survey young people in North America and now also in Western Europe. This trend report we're going to be talking about today is one focused on North America, but we actually also have this data on young consumers in Western Europe as well. We're surveying in North America 1,450 13 to 39-year-olds. So it's nationally representative across both countries, across age, gender, race, ethnicity, and region. And so it's really a real-time look at how young consumers are feeling about a particular topic or trend that's really changing the way that they live and and interact with brands. Great. So now let's dig in. I know I felt a bit of a bait and switch with the Delta variant. Absolutely. I was set to attend a gala event in October, and now my parade is being rained on. Yeah. So how are young consumers feeling about COVID? How long are they mentally bracing themselves for it to last? Yeah, this has been really interesting to track. We ask young consumers in almost every survey when they think the COVID crisis will end. We've been asking that since the beginning of the crisis. We also ask them um, if they are still quarantining. Mm. And we ask them as of more recently, what activities they're comfortable doing in person. Mm. And we definitely saw decreases in the amount of people who were uncomfortable doing in-person things like going to the movies. So we saw, you know, a return to in-person activities coming, (laughs) growing, and then Delta happened. But we really wanted to dig into everything overall. And that included, yeah, how has this changed in the year and a half that we've been tracking this, but also in the last few months? So we kind of looked at both. Mm. And certainly young consumers are still incredibly cautious. And the end of COVID is not feeling (laughs) near. And in fact, the number who believe that the COVID crisis will last more than six months is going back up. It had decreased to a little bit less than half in May. Mm. um, And in the last few months, it's gone back up to over 50% who believe it will last over six months. Wow. 
So if COVID is going to be around for the next six months, plus or minus a bit, but vaccination has really created a tale of two pandemics, Mm -hmm. how are young consumers feeling about returning to in-person events? Now, obviously in the spring, we thought, oh, it's going to be the summer of freedom, but then everybody had to rejigger it. Yes. It was supposed to be hot vac summer. Exactly. But now it seems like everybody is really trying to incorporate their risk assessment into their thinking. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to attend in-person events. So what are the things that young consumers are most interested in doing in person? Yeah. So what's really interesting is though the number of young consumers who feel that COVID is going to last more than six months has increased over the last few months, the number of young consumers who say that they are quarantining has continued to decrease. Mm -hmm. And the number of young consumers who say that they're comfortable with in-person activities like um, going to movies and theaters, traveling by plane, going to sporting events has either increased. So there are more who say they are comfortable or stayed steady. Hmm. We've watched the number who say that they are comfortable going to eat at restaurants in person increase from 48% in May to 57% in July. Hmm. And the number who say that they're comfortable going to see movies and theaters increased from 28% in May to 40% in July. Wow. Um, and we're continuing to track these because obviously everything keeps changing. So where have you seen the biggest movement from May to now? Where are people really saying, you know what? I really want to do this and I'm okay with it. Travel has absolutely seen a major increase um, from 21% in May to 32%. Hmm. But, you know, going to the movies has seen a significant growth over 10 percentage points. That's huge. Yeah. And we've seen increases as well in the number who are comfortable going to music concerts in person, although it's not quite as high, um, 19% back in, in May and now 26% in June and July. I'm curious, did you ask participants if they were vaccinated? I'd be so interested to see if that changed how they answered things. You know, we have this tale of two pandemics. Mm, Do we have a tale of different attitudes based on personal vaccination status? Any correlation there? We have asked young consumers if they're vaccinated, but we did not ask that in this survey. So we can't cross tab according to that in this particular Mm. survey. But I think we've absolutely seen that in other data that, yes, there there are two two different pandemics happening. And the majority of those who are able to get the vaccine, remember, we're talking to 13 to um, to 39 year olds. One up, right? Because it's 12. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay. But the majority of those who are able to get the the vaccine have uh, told us that they have. So we've run um, mm-hmm. surveys on that and have that data on webpulse.com. And we also have asked about how fearful they are about the Delta variant, Hmm. you know, found that many of them are very concerned naturally and are taking extra precautions. It's hitting young people more than the previous variant did. Correct. Correct. Nothing like having a young person who's healthy wind up in the ER intubated to make you think, woo, that's a little nerve wracking. But the really interesting thing that we saw in, in previous surveys and then this experience research is that though they are fearful Though they are taking extra precautions, uh, the majority really are eager to get back to in-person events. They, they are craving that. You know, one of the things that I thought was interesting was that one of the silver linings to COVID was that all of the anxiety about not being able to attend an event or a party, all of that youth FOMO that contributed to young consumer anxiety took a bit of a holiday. Yeah. Are these consumers over FOMO? <laughs> 
or is it still alive and kicking? Yeah. Are we seeing it come back? Yeah, we definitely are seeing it creep back. I mean, you know, it's just a human nature as live events start to happen again, they start to see peers or even people they don't know (laughs) attend more things in person. There's just a natural inclination to want to do that themselves. So we see that 69% of young consumers say they don't like missing out on things that appeal to their interests. And that's definitely something that they're feeling strongly about now. Is that a consistent percentage? Is there a FOMO benchmark percentage? (laughs) You know, prior to COVID, we were looking at youth feeling 69% this way, and now they're back to where they were. Yeah. How does it compare? So we asked questions about FOMO in 2014. And we compared those stats to now in 2021 and see really clearly that FOMO is either getting back to where it was or has stayed strong. In 2014, 72% of young people said that seeing friends posts online of cool things that they were doing makes them wish that they were with those friends. That is 65% now. So hardly any change, even though they haven't been able to to go into events for a year and a half. (laughs) And 57% in 2014 said they get jealous of friends that go to events that they can't make it to. And that's 54% in 2021. Wow. So it really is human. So small drop-offs, but considering the fact that there really haven't been these uh, kind of life circumstances where you were seeing friends do things that you couldn't so much in the last year and a half, really strong FOMO still. Okay. So they're game to attend events. What types of things do they want businesses to put into place so that they can feel safe? Yeah. So as we said, they're they're still cautious, you know, even though they're eager for live in-person events and they're craving those experiences, that doesn't mean that they believe that the pandemic is over. And they absolutely do want precautions to be put into place. 77% of young consumers tell us that COVID has an effect on how comfortable they are attending an in-person event right now. Mm -hmm. And there are very clear things that brands um, can do to make them feel more comfortable. The number one thing that they say can be done is social distancing rules put into place at an event. That can be difficult in situations like concerts, although it has been done. Um, There have been social distance concerts where, you know, booths are set up for groups who have come together and they're six feet apart from the next booth. But very closely following that is uh, masks being required at an event is the second biggest thing that brands can do. I think that this is important. There's a lot of noise around mask mandates and requiring masks, This is the consumer speaking. Consumers are saying have masks and it's okay. Absolutely. And, you know, to to just add to to that, there have been so many headlines, yes, around... quote unquote protests uh, about masks in schools and parents um, really objecting to kids wearing masks in schools and, and mask mandates in general. But when we survey young consumers and parents, the majority of both of those groups want masks to be required in schools. So that's hmm. one uh, other place that we see that young consumers are actually overall in favor of mask mandates right now. And those headlines can really take over. Um, But our data is showing that among Gen Z and millennials, the majority want those masks to be mandated. Which is so interesting because you have a lot of older politicians and policymakers saying, whoa, people don't want this. And it seems like the survey data doesn't support that position. 
people seem okay with it. You know, there's, there's very vocal groups who are making a lot of headlines. But when we look at the data about young people and what the majority of young people want, we see pretty clear instances in this experience data, in data about education, that they are in favor of masks being required. One thing that you mentioned at the top of the interview was that although this report is centered on North America, you had also collected this data for Western Europe. I'm curious if the types of things that brands need to do here in North America are at all different Do consumers have different priorities in Western Europe? Sure. So we see similar uh, precautions rise to the top of the list in Western Europe, but there are some differences. Hmm. The number one thing that young consumers say will make them feel comfortable about attending in-person events is getting the COVID-19 vaccine and then followed by masks being required at the events and then social distancing rules being put in place. That's so interesting. Getting the vaccine for themselves is a thing that rises to the top in Western Europe. Correct. I wonder if that has to do with vaccination rates. I think it does and availability. Right. As mentioned uh, here in in North America, um, those older than 12 are currently able to get the vaccine. And I'm not sure that is true of all countries that we're covering in Western Europe. Right. Well, that's really interesting. Does all of this mean that virtual events are going to be a thing of the past? You know, that's the question, right? So virtual events have become so much the norm during this very short time. Talk about an acceleration of a trend. Hmm. You know, virtual concerts were already starting to be a bigger thing in the beginning of COVID, but I don't think there's any way that uh, they would be as big as they are now had this pandemic not taken place and everyone um, been forced to figure out how to throw an event and have some sort of experience when no one could actually be together in person. So many musicians who stopped touring, obviously that changed everything. Well, you know, that's actually one of the things I was curious about. Are people still going to stream? During the pandemic, there was a certain amount of we're going virtual almost as a placeholder, right? Sure. And it felt like that for some time, that this was kind of what we're doing in the meantime, but, you know, not really a commitment to doing this long term. So if I'm a company, how should I be thinking of the economics of a streamed event? Is it still a placeholder or is it a moneymaker or does it depend on which industry you're in? It's Yeah, it's a great question. I think it definitely depends on what industry you're in. I will answer your first question first, um, which is that live stream events are not going anywhere. So while they felt like a placeholder for a little bit of time, the success that we have seen uh, in terms of virtual concerts and video games and virtual events that have drawn millions upon millions of fans, um, there's absolutely going to continue to be a place for that kind of event going forward, even after COVID-19 doesn't feel as big of a threat. Hmm. And there's plenty of evidence to support that. One of them being that the top reasons that young consumers say that they like virtual concerts have nothing to do with COVID-19, which is fascinating. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, how much of this has to do with our old FOMO? Yeah, (laughs) a good amount. Um, They are, first of all, 
the majority of young consumers are interested in attending a virtual event in, in the next six months. Hmm. Um, so the desire for virtual events is continuing to stay strong. The top reasons that they are interested in attending virtual events, number one, they're usually free to attend. Um, so that gets into your question about, are they money makers? And we can talk about more about that in a little bit. They like that they can experience those uh, events from home without going anywhere. Um, so the idea of democratization of access is one of the top reasons that in-person events um, are appealing. And when we ask them how they feel about in-person events versus versus virtual events um, and ask them to, you know, choose which ones are interesting and exciting or fun or authentic, the two places that virtual events beat kind of beat out in-person events in terms of appeal is that they are convenient and accessible. Mm. And those two things are not going to go away. Oh, that's so true. That's really, really interesting. And what a way also to build an audience if you're a musical act. Sure. You can expand who you're reaching, build that audience, and maybe go there in the future. But you know, you test out how it is. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. The majority of young people tell us that attending an event virtually helps them feel more included when they can't attend in person. And so that desire for inclusion, that desire to feel a part of something that has nothing to do with COVID. That's something we see across the board, um, you know, strong feelings about that desire for inclusion, regardless of where they're, they're living. Mm. Really, I think fans want access to the artists or um, or even the brands or the media entities, whatever it might be that they feel passionately about. And if they can do that from home, if they're not able to attend in person, that that has huge appeal. And that's, you know, not necessarily going to go away when the pandemic goes away. When you were looking at different cuts of data, you noticed that some consumers were more likely to attend streaming events. Isn't that right? Yes, absolutely. Which consumers? So there are a few groups that we see increased interest in virtual events. Um, and one of them is Gen Z. So 58% of young consumers overall are interested in attending a virtual event in the next six months. Um, that's actually 62% among Gen Z versus 57% among millennials. Gen Z is spending oh. so much time in virtual spaces um, and they're using places like Fortnite and Animal Crossing and Roblox and places quite frankly, they've, they've been inhabiting um, not just as games, but also as social spaces for some time. Um, mm. They're more likely to be in there. And they're also more likely to see those spaces as metaverses, places where anything mm. can happen than millennials might be. Um, so Gen Z is one, one group that is more likely to be interested in attending an, a virtual event, but there are others as well. BIPOC young consumers are also more likely to prefer virtual events. Um, so preference for attending a concert, for example, um, is a little bit higher among um, BIPOC young consumers when, when it comes to live streaming. So we see 16% would prefer to attend a concert live streamed through a broadcast in their home versus 9% of white non-Hispanic young consumers. Um, and they mm. are more likely than white non-Hispanic young consumers to say that they are interested in attending virtual events in the next six months as well. Wow. And that's for both generations combined? 
Yeah. And I think that's about that access as well. You know, wanting to um, experience something without going anywhere, um, being able to attend and feel a part of something um, if they can't afford it or they can't get there or whatever it might be. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that democratized access is incredibly appealing. And it's also so you can be alone, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of it is that you can be alone and nobody knows you're alone at some of these events, right? That you, if you can't get your whole crew to go with you, you can still attend and you can enjoy it by yourself. Yeah. Let's say I'm a brand and I've been listening to this conversation. It sounds like experiences are still pretty important to my target young consumers, but they aren't super keen to come to branded events. That was something that I read in the report, but we haven't actually talked about. But if memory serves, brands are more likely to well, they beat out the opera, but beyond that, it's <laughs> not, not very much. much. <laughs> so how do I thread the needle to take advantage of a desire for experiences and in real life interactions, but also acknowledge that my brand isn't a huge draw? How do I make that work? Yeah. So I think when brands are thinking about experiences for young consumers, there are really clear um, kind of paths that have been forged that um, show what appeals to them. And, you know, while there are some young consumers that are interested in attending a, an event that's focused on a brand or say a product mm-hmm. launch, what brands really should understand is that, you know, an event shouldn't be about you. Okay. <laughs> it has to be about the things that young people are passionate about. So sponsoring an event that, you know, plays into one of their, their passions, their hobbies, or better yet, one of the musicians or artists or um, other talent, influencer, actor, whoever it is giving them access to entertainment that they are already excited about. Mm -hmm. That's what brands should be really focused on as opposed to creating events that are about their own stuff. Now, there are exceptions to that rule. Mm -hmm. I think media brands have a unique opportunity. They have more fans, loyalty, people who are passionate about their content. So for example, Netflix is holding a a global fan event at the end of September. Um, they're calling it. Um, I think it's so interesting. Yeah. I also think it's really interesting that they built it off their Sonic branding. I think that's so smart. Yes. They, they are calling it to dumb after their ubiquitous uh, Netflix noise <laughs> comes on when you turn on one of their shows. Sonic branding. Exactly. It's a three hour event and it's going to go through, you know, teasers for upcoming content. You know, they have huge followings. Obviously young consumers are incredibly excited about Netflix content. We know it's, Um, the top platform, streaming platform that they are using weekly to watch entertainment. Mm. So, you know, a media brand like Netflix has perhaps a unique opportunity. But if if you're another kind of brand, um, you should probably focus on sponsoring um, entertainment that young people are are interested in seeing Mm. or bringing bringing your product to life in an entertaining way, potentially uh, in an in-person event. Is, is another kind of route. Um, but above all, it has to entertain. And generally, they're not going to be that excited about brand announcements. Right. That's interesting. So any other absolutely no-go, won't work, don't even try it red flags that people should be aware of? Or was it just don't focus on you? You've got to start with how you're facilitating young consumers' interest in something other than your consumer product. 
I think that's the most important part. I think also understanding that virtual events can speak to niche interests and be successful, even if they don't have the millions of attendees um, that say like, uh, a Travis Scott concert in Fortnite or a BTS concert in Fortnite or an Ariana Grande concert in Fortnite or a Lil Nas X concert in Roblox or, you know, any of these huge virtual events that you see, you know, millions upon millions. Those are juggernaut fan events. Exactly. So they're almost outliers. Yes. So brands probably shouldn't be holding themselves to those standards, right. um, but should really be considering engaging with real fans of either their brand or an, an entertainment entity and providing that, even if they're, those numbers are not in the millions, you know, really engaging with, with a, a fandom um, that's, that's can be a huge success for a brand, even if the numbers are not incredibly high. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing this information. It's really great stuff. Thank you. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend, Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.